Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm ED Senior Reporter Matt Mace and today I'm bringing you a special episode from London, live at the Museum of Brands. Later on today I'll be viewing exhibitions featuring uh, First World War Oxo Cubes, Mars Bars and Rolos. So what better backdrop to talk to some select business representatives on a sustainability issue sweeping the nation right now? Of course, I'm talking sustainable packaging. So the Museum of Brands is officially opening its sustainable packaging exhibition to give everyone a glimpse of the latest innovations in packaging. There seems to be a global crackdown on certain types of plastic packaging. Everyone from the BBC to the Royal Family via Glastonbury Festival has announced intentions to remove single-use plastics from operations, while businesses like Iceland, Cranswick, Waitrose and even Eurostar have all implemented steps to stop selling or using certain packaging and products. It's very much a case of out with the old and in with the new, unless of course you're a milkman, in which case it's out with the old and back in with the older glass bottles. You see, the public is aware of the issues that plastic packaging is having on global ecosystems. Driven by the Blue Planet TV series, consumers are acutely aware that plastic now accounts for 95% of the rubbish in our oceans, and that by 2050 there could be more plastic in the ocean by weight than there is fish. In fact, a survey of 5,000 consumers found that 80% would endorse a supermarket's move to go plastic-free, while 91% would be more likely to encourage friends and families to shop there. So, this episode aims to speak to some of the aforementioned businesses to find out how they plan to meet their new plastic targets, how long they've been thinking about these targets, and what solutions are on the horizon. We'll also be speaking to a couple of companies that have potential solutions ready to enter the marketplace to create a more sustainable product, which doesn't necessarily just mean plastic, and also speaking to companies that are already pioneering more sustainable packaging solutions. Okay, so with me today I have uh, Matthew Miller, the business director of James Cropper, Ian Schofield, the uh, own label and packaging director of Iceland, uh, Christina Chester, the global product director at Tetrapack, and Chris Griffin, the chief executive of the Museum of Brands. Um, all of these people will have a chance to tell you a bit more about themselves if you don't know what they do already, but Chris, I thought I would start with you since you are the reason we're all here. Um, the Museum of Brands has launched a new, or is launching a new exhibition in the next few days. Quite a timely one as well with what's been going on recently, the whole Blue Planet aspect of it. So, so Chris, I'm hoping you can just give us a bit of insight and information about the new exhibition and, and why now was a good time of any to, to launch it. Yeah, okay, thanks Matt. Well, I think the Museum of Brands, we cover Principally, we cover a history of 200 years of consumer society, and over that time, sustainability has been an issue. Obviously, um, <clears throat> we covered uh, in 2009 the wartime, where sustainability was a, a really key issue because of the lack of materials. So people changed materials, they reduced the size of packs, they reduced the number of print colours, um, <clears throat> and so it's an ongoing issue for us. And so we, in our new series of packaging innovation, we thought sustainability was just the next topic that should be tackled. Uh, this was before the David Attenborough's Blue Planet came out. Uh, so it was timely, uh, I guess. And uh, I think sustainability, as a packaging designer myself, it was always on our agenda in any pack design and always will be. I, I just think that uh, our exhibition came together at the same time as David's wonderful film. 
And yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of coverage we've done on the site around these kind of plastic pledges have, have been timely, and, uh, but a lot of the, the retailers I've actually spoken to have actually said, no, this is stuff we've been doing for a while, it's just there hasn't been a consumer appetite for it. So Ian, um, Iceland obviously made quite a big pledge, um, I would say probably one of the more ambitious ones out of the retailers out there. And, and was this something you'd had lined up for a while, or is this a kind of direct response to this kind of wave of consumer awareness that you were seeing? Um, it kicked off with a project which, funny enough, launched yesterday in store called Hungry Heroes. It was a kid's line of ready meals. We are the kings of ready meals. 30% of every frozen ready meal in the UK is sold through Iceland. Um, and when we started looking at it, we said, what are we doing with this? It's plastic, 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 and that cannot be the right thing. So we came up with, the, you know, going back to basics, because this is not about revolution, this is about going back to basic um, materials we used to use before. And we said, let's try and get this plastic free. We didn't quite achieve that, which is really frustrating. Um, but the key thing was that we got 85% of the plastic out of it. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And we're using sustainable um, forest to bring it from. So the key thing was that was the kickoff. The David Attenborough thing was probably third stage in it because yeah. Richard Walker, who's um, the, one of the family members in the business, we're a private business, um, was, was surfing on beaches. He was going, to, to, um, going around the world seeing plastic not being um, used or taken or recycled. And he got incredibly frustrated. So the top of the business bought into, right. Then when David Attenborough came along, that was the third step of we've got to do something. And we then sent a massive message out to our suppliers. So just to finish off and recap, we had all our suppliers for the last 18 months in meetings with the last thing on the agenda that we did with everyone is, what are you doing about removing plastics? And you were amazed at the response you got. It was from absolutely nothing, which surprised <laughs> us, to, yeah, actually, we've got quite a few things on the agenda. And by the way, five years ago, we did this. Okay, well, that's... It's great to see that it wasn't just, I suppose, a, a reactive approach. No. And I, I think a lot of the retailers aren't being reactive. A lot of them are proactive, but it is perhaps that that consumer engagement is now higher than it's ever been. And you mentioned the kind of the certified timber aspect to it, which brings me nicely on uh, to Christina at Tetchback, um, you're kind of the, the Swedish kind of food process and packaging company. Um, and you, I suppose, Tetchback is the kind of champion of, of bio-based um, packaging. You know, you have the Tetra Top package range, which is have plant-based renewable content more than 8%. You've already delivered, I think, more than uh, 200 billion packages labelled with the FSC logo, um, which I suppose begs the question, is plastics a problem for you? Well, it depends on what you mean, I mean with a, a problem. Uh, of course, there's always more you can do. Mm. I think you're correct. I mean, uh, sustainable environment is one of our four uh, corner pillars of our strategy, so it is extremely important to us. Uh, and working with bioplastics, as you say, and in general environmental solutions, not just the plastics part, but other parts as well, it could be equipment related or package related, is very much strong part of our business. I, we feel that this is an absolutely essential uh, reason for our being, or for surviving, shall we say, in the future. We need to be able to supply sustainable and safe packaging for our consumers or for your consumers in the retail. But uh, when it comes to bioplastics, uh, we still can do more, I'm sure. I mean, 
why I'm here today is because I'm extremely proud to have our fully renewable package mm. here at the exhibition now, uh, which we launched in uh, 2014 and which actually consists of uh, fully renewable components when it's created. So it's all plant-based. It's uh, the wood, the board for, for the packages from FSC control forests and the plastics is bio-based. So that means it comes from sugar cane. So everything there is plant-based and can be renewed. Also the, the closure. Then, of course, uh, there might be other ways of creating bioplastics in the future. So we're not just sitting saying this was good, we'll leave it at that. We are looking at there could be future materials to use instead of uh, sugarcane because everything is, is limited, of course, still. Uh, but we, so far we have sufficient supply of that, but we're hoping, we are expecting other uh, things to come. It could be uh, uh, organic waste perhaps in the future, it could even be, as somebody said, crustaceans, it could be algae, mm. you know, you yeah. never know. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are other ways of which, of course, we are following and monitoring for the future. And then uh, we expand. So since we came with a full renewable package, we've also moved to aseptic packaging and replaced the polyacetylene with bio-based and also other barrier materials. So uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing, we still have quite a bit done and as you say, we. We started actually already 2011 by supplying the closures in bio-based material. Okay. And then we're slowly doing more and more as we can and as it's possible. Okay, and yeah, the, I suppose the one thing that gets me excited about innovations, I, I write weekly updates on, on all things sustainability um, about innovation, is, is that, that forward thinking, a lot of it's blue sky thinking, I suppose, <laughs> when, when you mentioned the kind of crustaceans that could be used um, and, and stuff. But it, it's great that people are already looking into the future, sometimes before a problem's mm. even, um, even risen. But, but looking back, before plastics, I suppose, became the, the main, well, I suppose certainly the main product that was in the crossfires, mm. um, at the, back in the last year, coffee cups was the big kind mm -hmm. of um, issue, it, and it's it's had its time online like there's certainly still a real issue there but I think plastics in a broader sense has probably taken over. Um, Matthew uh, Miller, um, James Cropper has, has invented essentially what is one of the world's first upcycling process for these disposable paper cups um, and for, for listeners that don't know essentially the problem with paper cups is even though they're 100% recyclable there's a real problem with the separation progress between the inner plastic line and, and the actual paper cup. So your, your cup uh, cycling facility has, has technology that can separate that plastic and that paper and you're already teaming up with not just the coffee retailers but lots of Selfridges to then essentially recycle this stuff so the, that iconic yellow Selfridges bag features essentially coffee cups um, and so that's already an example of a closed loop system where I think we'd like to get to um, with, with plastics so I suppose and that was again driven by real consumer awareness um, so is, is that an issue that has still been swept aside? Are you finding consumers are still very much interested in that alongside the wider plastic space? I, I, think, I think very definitely consumers are already in, uh, very interested in this. But I'd also say that this is a plant that we opened, having developed it over several years in 2013. Hmm. So as we talked about before, whilst there's a great deal of consumer awareness now on some of these issues industry awareness has been growing ahead of consumer awareness and mm -hmm. um, coffee cups are a great example actually of where some some broader industry thinking can really help solve some problems because they're one of the highest quality sources of fiber um, they're food contact grade they're very very 
clean, pure, bright fibre. But they're coated with enough material and each acts as contaminant to the other. Mm. So you end up with a, if you're not careful, with a non-recyclable plastic stream and a non-recyclable fibre stream. Um, having the capability to separate it to a level where we can turn it into something that, as you say, upcycles it, really unlocks a lot of things within that supply chain. Because what you then have is a valuable resource rather than a waste that you have to deal with. And that allows for some of the recovery schemes that we're now seeing to make a lot more sense for people. And it's also something that works really well for a lot of brands. So the Selfridges example is a good one. We take back coffee cups that they use within their stores mm -hmm. and we turn them back into their products. So that's a real closed loop example. But equally, we've, we've now making um, a baffalo box in our Colourform product, which is a multi-fibre product, um, and that's made from 100% coffee cup. So again, you've got an upcycling route there rather than converting it into something that, that moves down the value chain, it becomes a higher added value item again that, that allows for further reuse. So I think that is a good approach when we can take it. Um, it's, it's interesting the point you made earlier about, about the time involved in this because you mentioned 200 years we've been, mm. we've been concerned about recyclability and packaging. We've been making paper for 172 years and yeah. a lot of these solutions are solutions that have existed historically and because of changes in the way that society works or changes in the way that industry works have been moved away from and we can solve a lot of these problems actually by recognising mm. things that we already know how to do. And I think that's a, it's a really important message for most consumers, and, and it, it's a point that was talked about in the discussion we had, recycling, renewability is immensely confusing. Mm. Mm. Um, lots of the solutions are very straightforward and actually minimise the impact on the consumer. So, as an example, we, we're now making packaging, the entire packaging for a luxury perfume brand, and it's all made out of paper. It's made out of the colour form, moldy fibre, but it's a single material. That's an easy solution for a consumer. They don't have to worry about separation, they don't have to worry about segregation. They simply put it back in the paper recycling. And there are many other ways in which we can make that solution much more manageable for a consumer. I think it's asking a lot to increase that complexity in a bid to get better sustainability. Because we're, we're, we're all in this industry. I'll hold my hand up and say I get it wrong quite a lot. Because I'm not always sure which should go in which bin and whether it's recyclable or whether it isn't. So I think that's a really important part of it. And certainly what I've heard from Iceland really encourages me that the retailers are moving in that direction. And as I say, whilst our product is not currently directly used by Iceland, the kind of message we're hearing where we've got people saying from a retail perspective, we will get rid of plastic, really helps the whole of that industry start to recognise it can be done. And I think that's also one of the big challenges is the first thing people see is the barriers. Mm -hmm. um, many of them never worked with the materials that we're now trying to move back with to. Many of them think they have to come up with something completely new and innovative, which is always very challenging. Um, providing some of the some of the pathfinders who can show the way in which 
the rest of the industry can move is great. And that's a really interesting point about barriers because essentially what we have um, around this table right now is it's someone who has this solution and has already put it into markets and it's getting that generating their interest in lots of self, which is lots of lush. We have someone like Tetra Pak who has been um, you know using this solution for, for years now and, and has carved a market, albeit I imagine it's predominantly kind of Scandinavian markets where the recycling facilities are better or? Actually not. No? Uh, if we look at, now I'm not just talking Tetra Pak, mm. I think, I mean we do monitor every year, we do consumer research and environment and we also look at recycling because we, we truly promote mm. wherever we can. Uh, and I think for Europe, the figure was 43% uh, last year okay. of the beverage cartons. So I'm just not just talking mm. about but beverage cartons, which is, I think, a, not a small sum when you think of it. So it does vary a lot from country to country. I agree. Mm -hmm. Scandinavia is probably the best. Yeah, yeah. But even so, mm. it's an encouraging figure, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but again, you, you know, you have a... You have a product that you have championed, that you have tried and tested, and, and that you have brought into a market. Yeah. And and then we have Iceland, who, um, when we have in the chat downstairs, it sounds like you've already gained a few more customers simply by making that pledge, mm -hmm. which is which is great. But you are you're now having made that bold pledge. You're now looking for solutions that, that essentially reduce reliance on plastics. And there is a lot of boost, I think, and a lot of people that will undoubtedly come to you probably on a daily basis for the solution. So so. What, what do you need for, for a solution for, it to, for you to go, okay, this ticks every single box? So firstly, we've gone through one hell of a learning curve. We really have gone through a big learning curve in understanding um, and trying to cut through all the clouds and mists of what is recyclable, what is compostable. Um, the good thing is by saying no plastics, it makes it really clear. Mm -hmm. It makes it really clear. Um, people are working on recycling of plastics, of course they are, people are, and we need it, we absolutely need it, but when you say we're not having any plastics, it makes it really crystal clear to what your goal in your product development programme and your packaging development programme is. Um, so we set out by having every supplier in, every supplier came in, they got the pill, of, you know, they <laughs> took the pill of, you must do this, um, again, mixed reaction, but generally they were all up for it. Um, more importantly, the customers are up for it. Yeah. Our customers. That's the most important mm. thing for us. They come in every day. You know, they spend money with us every day. So they're up for it. Um, the suppliers came out of the woodwork from all around the world to say, we've got this, we've got that. Some of it innovation. And when you get behind the smoke and mirrors, some of it's good and some of it's rubbish and will not be able to be recycled. And we're used to that every day. But that's good. We need the ideas. So literally, we've got in the next month, um, starting from the 5th, 6th and the 12th or 13th, every supplier is coming back to us, most of them new ones to Iceland. Okay. And don't forget, these are raw material suppliers, because normally we would, we would deal with a converter. Mm. Now we're dealing with the raw material suppliers coming from different countries of the world okay. saying, we've got this. I'll give one bad example, and that's green PE. So I heard this, green PE, that sounds really good. It comes from eucalyptus trees out in, uh, out in uh, Brazil. And that was a good example. You look behind it, and you say, well, what marine tests have you done? Well, none. Oh, so is it breaking down? Yes, but it's breaking down the same as polythene does. Well, mm. that's not a great <laughs> help to me. I'm trying to help everybody, and I'm only a catalyst here. That's the other thing to say about Iceland. We're a catalyst. What we've done is we've brought a debate to the table and we've triggered off a whole rook of um, people having to look at their own solutions 
and the public has risen up in their millions mm. to say, well done. Mm. And we know you're the catalyst. Mm. So lots of new suppliers, lots of new solutions. We're trying to see through that, um, as well as the ones we've already got mm. before we started this, i.e. moving out of black CPET trays, mm. which cannot be recycled. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's a good debate and it will continue, but I'm pleased to say that we've got a fantastic response from people coming to us with solutions. And um, I don't know if, if any of you have, have actually taken the, I suppose, the, the tour through the Museum of Brands where you start off in the kind of Victorian era and, and you make your way through and I think it's about the 1960s I started to notice that plastics really become this kind of mainstream mm. packaging um, mm. aspect which is really interesting. Um, and essentially plastics were brought in as, a, as this new packaging material because glass and, and metal was too heavy, it was, it was heavy to transport, it was bulkier as to the energy costs, etc, etc. So plastics was viewed as a solution and is now viewed as something that needs these solvents. So how, how are we ensuring that a lot of these new solutions don't have unintended consequences further down the line? Yeah, I mean, there's something else about plastic is that the developments in plastic over, over recent years <coughs> and gases is their preservation of the food. And obviously something Iceland has got going for it rather a lot is that the food is frozen mm. and therefore much of the oxygen and barrier properties are, are inherent in, in the mm. process. And in a total life cycle it's a question I guess is you know how does the frozen element relate in, in the total equation because yeah. it's energy to freeze and keep frozen and, and whatever. Um, so I think what the time tunnel shows over 200 years is those that have come and gone because they've not stood the test of time. Mm. And, and I think that's the key. And mm. I, I, I do would hesitate for anyone to come out and say, we've solved it. Mm. Because the bigger picture, you know, will just bring the spotlight sort of slightly mm. on you. And I think, I don't know whether you've got, you know, there are, there are examples in the past where mm. someone said, you know, we've solved it. Mm. And then, well, I think Plastics become so ubiquitous because it's actually tremendously good at what it does. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, yeah. we we we're, we're approaching plastic as a problem because actually some of the things that really benefit us in the utilisation of it, it's it's lightweight, it's very durable, it can be transparent, it's got great barrier properties. They're all wonderful things, and and actually that's where that ubiquity comes from, and. Um, and I think it would be a mistake to say we simply, in every instance, move away from that without finding a good alternative solution. I think there's a gradual process here, which is recognising that whilst plastics has a great deal of value in some applications, there are other applications where it isn't necessary and the, and the environmental issues that it brings with it aren't merited in that case. We can deal with those first. Um, this is where we do need some some innovation, where we do need the new thinking, the new ideas. Because I don't think I don't think there will be a one size fits all solution, and I think that's often been the problem. Plastic has kind of been used as a one size fits all solution yeah. over yeah. the past mm -hmm. 50, mm -hmm. 60 years, and many of those applications just don't need it. Yeah. Well, as, as I said before, I trained as a packaging technologist on removing natural materials into plastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did it in the co-op in 1981, 82, mm -hmm. 83 and 84. And it's really weird coming back into this theatre now, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of saying, I don't want it anymore. Now I agree with you, there will be a crossover point where hopefully 
if the plastic in industry have got their heads in the right place, mm. will come back with a solution which mm. will make us rethink. Mm. But whilst it's not being recycled, Wales is the best, by the way, 65%. Let's clap Wales, they're very good at it. Um, but most people are not. It's only a third of our plastic waste is being recycled. Until we cut out, so if I do my bit, I'm only 2.5% of the market, right? If I do my bit and get rid of that plastic, I'm doing my bit whilst these solutions are being looked at. And I can go around the supermarket with pride saying, look, all those from renewable sources, and I can reuse them again, yeah? I'm not there. So there will be a graph, somebody will be plotting it somewhere, somebody cleverer than me, but it's a very important equation mm -hmm. because somebody has to rebound back. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I, just just a, a comment. I, mean, I know at the moment, uh, I live in Sweden, but I know the plastic debate is extremely hot here in England, of course, I've noticed that today. <laughs> but of course, I think it's important what you come back to a little bit, the recycling as well, because it's, I think it's also really important you don't stay yourself blind on just one thing. Now I fully understand that plastics, and I think we're all shocked about the bit that happens afterwards, the waste. But of course it's a, it's a whole life cycle, mm. and I think that's important to bear in mind when we talk about sustainability. Mm. And, uh, and why I also think it's very important that you don't just look at the end, the waste, but actually where they come from. Mm. Uh, so that's why I still think I'm very proud of the fact that you can source something which is not finite like fossil fuels but you can actually regrow like forests or whatever uh, which is a nice uh, mo uh, nice materials to use in any case but then you care for it all through the life cycle so you also make sure even though it's perhaps fully renewable it's still possible to recycle in the same way as we do today in the streams that exist yeah, granted yes. they don't yeah. exist everywhere but they do so I think it's really important that I agree, it's very strong now, but we, we should always think of the whole value chain when we look at sustainability. I, I definitely agree with that, and I feel as if when we think of value chain, you, you never think of the circular economy, and essentially, you know, Coca-Cola is one company that gets a, a terrible, terrible rep mm. for, for plastic. It, mm. Their bottles are 100% recyclable. Mm. Granted, yeah, I mean, I think they increased production by a billion bottles last year. Probably not ideal, and, and I think one of the solutions is definitely reducing the amount of plastic that has to be used. Um, but and, and a lot of a lot of the issue seems to be in the UK as well is, is how we view plastic in that in that life cycle, in that value chain, as when it becomes after use it becomes waste. It's it's not as viewed as a resource, it's viewed as a waste stream, so it gets sent off to Asia, not China anymore. Um, and the lower quality stuff gets sent off to countries that don't have the capacity to deal with it and then it seeps out into oceans that way. So as much as there as much as Blue Planet highlighted the issues, I think it also inadvertently got consumers to look at businesses and go, You you kinda did this to us, sort it out. Whereas there's this big and especially in the UK infrastructure debate. So so how how are how are businesses not just bringing solutions that perhaps negate the need to to recycle if it's biodegradable, if it's just durable as well. But how how is a company like Ison, for example, going to um, lobby for for recycling reforms or just increase that consumer awareness on recycling? Well one of the things about coming out with a pledge like we did is that obviously it stirs up a lot of things. We were mentioned in government that day, yeah. we were mentioned in, in question time, we were mentioned everywhere. It went like wildfire. Why? Because it's a subject that people are not tackling <laughs> yeah. and therefore the public's up in arms that their MP, our country, um, our nation, potentially our food chain is being affected 
by this. Mm. So it stirred everybody up. Now, if that doesn't make a change, we won't have done our job as a retailer. Mm. We are part of that. M&S, us, Asda, Tesco, we're all part of that. We have got to make some changes. Often, we make those changes in legislation. We did it on colours, preservatives, flavours. We were first at that. We did it way before any legislation came in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Way before. So if a retailer gets involved with it because of the customer, then we've every chance of making that change. So we've had every recycle company in. We've had every government body in. We've had RAP talking to us. Everyone's got their own thing, bit, bit to play. But ultimately, if we don't drive it, then nothing will happen. Mm -hmm. Or it won't happen as quick as we need it. Mm -hmm. So recycling facilities, um, constant recycling facilities, which are easy to understand is what we're now all talking about, mm -hmm. not complicating it. And for goodness sake, let's not get into polymer science mm -hmm. because that will completely blow the customer away. That's yeah. our job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've just got to say, you put it in the blue or you put it in the brown. We've just got to make it really, really simple. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, we already use the OPRL, the unpacked re recycling labels on our packs. Let everybody, even if they want to change it, I don't care, as long as we have the same standard one mm -hmm. that goes on there, and we should have the same, exactly yeah. the same, for every retailer and every company. And if we and the other retailers can drive that, we will, and we are. But let's just say the change is happening, everyone's now having those difficult meetings, the elephants come out of the room, we've got to sort this, lads mm -hmm. um, and, and ladies, we've got to make sure there is an absolute common ground here. So all we've done is triggered a mm. whole set of initiatives. Some of them we didn't expect, I have to say, yeah. but it's been a good thing. That's a good thing. And it's good for our children and our futures. I really believe that. Um, otherwise, you know, what are we doing it for? Are we doing it for retail glory? No, actually we're not. We're doing it because Richard in our business cared deeply about mm -hmm. it and came to us and said, what are we doing? Yeah, definitely. So it came from a different place. Mm -hmm. And then, Christine, you mentioned you lived out in Sweden. Is there just a completely different attitude amongst consumers there? It is, you know, I'm guessing they're not going around talking about polymers. But, no, um, but no, is, I, is it just an ingrained difference? Or? I, I just, it just struck me, if, if we talk about recycling, I think there is a major difference mm. uh, in, in Sweden and UK if we compare it. I mean, of course, there are local authorities taking care of the recycling there too. But we have a, a, a uniform way of recycling, which is the same whether you're far up in the north or right down in the south, it's always the same. You always know it's a general communication. So you know as a consumer where you have to put what and what can be recycled or not. Most of the time anyway, I would say sometimes. But in general, it's not so strange. And if I listen today, what I understand is that uh, the, the way there is quite a bit of uh, recycling in the UK, I think it's 92% uh, of the councils have some form of uh, recycling, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not a uniform way of doing it, and I think that's probably the difference. It's more confusing here. I think that's true, and I think there is, there's a great deal that can be done to improve that, mm -hmm. particularly in the UK. I think we've also got to recognise, though, that if the even if we massively improve recycling rates, with the growth in the use of plastics, the amount of leakage, if you mm. like, the amount that actually is going into the oceans is not going to change. We would have to have an enormous impact on recycling rates simply to keep the level of, of contamination we're currently getting flat. Yeah. So whilst I think we, we have to do that, it isn't a long-term solution. It's, it's bailing the boat rather than fixing the hole. And you've got to do both. 
you know, as we said, the solutions to these problems aren't always straightforward, mm. but there are some straightforward things we can do to buy ourselves the time to get those long-term solutions. And clearly recycling is one of those elements that we can be better at. Um, the Coca-Cola bottle example is a really good one. It's 100% recyclable. Yeah. The actual recycling rate is, I, I mean, I'll be plucking figures out of the air, but typical plastic recycling rates are very low. Yeah. So, so there is something we can do to improve on recycling, but it's not going to solve the long-term problem. And, I mean, we've got some forward-thinking minds around the room. I'm asking the, the million-dollar question, but what is the, what is the solution? I mean, well, there's no silver bullet. But There's no silver bullet, but, I mean, one for me would be that you see all that plastic out on the street mm. of no value to anyone. It's just nuisance. If you gave it a small value, yeah. then suddenly it would be encouraging to kids or whoever to be pulling it all back. Do ask you. Do ask you. And, yeah. and, and, and um, away you go. Yeah. Uh, just, um, just talk about the DRS scheme, which is the is in Norway. Mm. They've kicked that off with all the retailers. 96% mm. uh, rate coming back yeah. to the store. Yeah. You know, and that's why we went for it straight away and said, we'll do it. Uh, it took a bit of time for Tesco, but they've now gone with it. I sort of said no. But we still think that's a really good idea because it will get it recycled and there is a monetary value to it to get there. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's also a value on, on that customer loyalty and retention. I mean, you mentioned this, that your customers completely yeah. demanded and the fact that you made this pledge means you've you kept them for those customers, arguably. And, I mean... Taking the, the Selfridges example as well, that's a really unique selling point mm. for their bags. Um, yeah. They've taken all the cups from from their estate and using it for their bags. That's that's a, almost a monetary value in that sense. And I think I think actually that's that's one of the other aspects with this is we've got to broaden out what sustainability means mm. because if sustainability means you take a hit in your profitability, your uh, cost base and the attractiveness of your product to the customer. It's actually very, very hard to maintain that. For a truly sustainable solution to these things actually enhances your product, enhances your brand, and addresses the environmental issue. And a, an analogy I've used before on this sort of thing is, is the, the movement with electric cars. The, whether you agree they're a good environmental solution or not, and that's a different <laughs> debate, the, the first move was into cars that were very worthwhile, if you believed in that, but did not excite customers. The big change in mindset comes with people like Tesla and BMW producing a, a product customers really want to buy that offers that. And I mean, part of what we're trying to do with the Colourform product is say you can have attractive solutions that enhance your brand without sacrificing the environmental side. And I think from a, for, for businesses to be able to do this, that's also got to make sense. Yeah. So finding solutions that can tick all the boxes, that we don't have to compromise too much on. And I, we've talked about the three potential compromises. There's, there's aesthetics, there's cost, and functionality. Is that the, did I yeah, get the yeah, right three? Yeah, 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 good, I was listening. <laughs> um, Traditionally, many sustainable solutions have compromised the aesthetics. You can do it, but it will look recycled, it will look... Well, there are solutions, and as I say, I'm a big advocate of one that we produce, Colourform, which don't have that aesthetic compromise. The functionality 
the compromise is not always present. It's present in some applications. There's many applications where there is no compromise on functionality. Price, price becomes less and less of an issue as a solution becomes established. And there's always, there's always that challenge mm. of gaining foothold for these things. Yeah. And that's why, and I mean, coming back to your point, that's why the advocacy from some of the retail groups is so important, yeah. because it drives the critical mass to start picking up on these solutions. Well, one thing about my job, and it's pretty unique, because I look after the on-label launch program, mm. so everything with ice and brand on, I also look after the colour of that, okay. the aesthetics of that, every aspect of it. Mm. I'm a very unique in retail. Yeah. Not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's just <laughs> where I find myself. And, and it's because I'm a trained marketer as well as a trained packaging technologist. And one of the things when I'm looking at design and when I'm looking at solutions, all those things come into play. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to get a lot of them wrong. Mm -hmm. I am. There is going to be a compromise which the customer doesn't like. Yeah, definitely. I'll talk about cucumber in a minute, it's a good one. <laughs> but there is going to be things I get wrong. What you do, it's like a product launch. You get out of it as fast as you get in it if it's going the wrong direction. Yeah? If you've got the design wrong, you redesign it. Absolutely quickly. We're good at that. Iceland are really good at that. Quicker than any other retailer could do it. But that's part of my job, is I'm going to get some things wrong. Yeah. And I'm going to have to go down the corridor to direct and say, I really blew this, lads. Because I will not have the total solution. And there will be a compromise in those things. And I will get things wrong. So, and I'm prepared for that. Mm. And, and, and of course, I think the team are at the moment, but they might, when I get one wrong, they might come down a bit, <laughs> a bit harder on me than that. But you know what I mean? That's mm. a really important thing. And when you're developing a product, you're not going to get it right every time. Now, I'll come back to cucumber because it's a hot topic, cucumber gate. Mm -hmm. uh, our view is really good with no plastic, have we? So that's, mm. once you say no plastic, we have at the moment, but once the plastic comes yeah. off, I've got less shelf life. So I'm going to create food, food waste, aren't I? That's the argument. Yeah. No, I'm not. Because we've got an education job to do on people to say, by the way, you've only got three days on that cucumber. Mm. And you must mm. use it effectively. Because mm. 57% of all waste is in the home. Yeah. Mm. Retailers want long shelf life, by the way. Yeah. We, we, we've done it for years. That's what our job's been done. To get. Nowadays, we've got to think differently. Mm. And if that gets rid of that plastic, because that plastic is not being recycled, it's not being reused, mm. then I've got rid of a whole tonnage. And let's just talk about some easy solutions. Eggs. Eggs going from plastic back into pulp. Funny that, isn't it? We used to be in that before. Two of my egg lines takes 2,000 tonnes of material out of plastic just by different thinking. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the customer will like that because they've had it before. Mm. So that's not changing the world. It's not innovation. Mm -hmm. It's just going back to basics. So there are a lot of things that retailers can do now to take a whole rock of plastic out. And, and so some of it's just different thinking mm -hmm. at the NPD stage. We won't get everything right. I won't get everything on ready meals mm -hmm. right. But you know what? We'll adapt quick. Uh, just to, to connect to your, your thing about performance or cost, uh, I, I agree. It doesn't affect it. It doesn't have to affect it at all. I mean, uh, for example, if you take a, a, a beverage carton as we have it, there is absolutely no difference in functionality between uh, to a fossil-based one or a, a, or a, a renewable package. Mm -hmm they are identical. So that, that from that part, there is no sacrifice anywhere, right? Uh, there is a cost today because mm. the new materials are higher, of course. But I mean, we firmly believe that this long term will go down. Again, it's mm. everything costs a bit more initially. 
Uh, and there, of course, it's a question we all have to be willing to share that cost, of course, maybe a little bit of profitability all along the chain, and uh, not to lumber the, everything on the consumer, of course, because we don't. <laughs> so it's a question of you have to get over that initial stage, and then later we're quite sure it's going to come to the same price level as, as fossil fuels. Mm. I agree. Mm. And, and the swings are roundabouts. You might make some savings here, and a retailer, we can do this, make some savings there, but we're going to invest in here. Mm. So as long as the consumer doesn't pay for it, and we really believe that, it's not their fault that we've done this. Yeah. You know, we've been doing it for their convenience mm. as retailers, so they can't pay for it. So we've got to find a way of doing it. And in some cases, there will be an investment. Yeah. You know, where we, for the long term, which is the right thing, we've already done some for the long term. So, you know, that's unusual for a retailer to think like that. But we've had to think like that because it's a change of mindset. And when you start changing your mindset, it's amazing what can happen. Mm. This has been a, a really interesting conversation, and fully aware people have, have places. To be so. Um, just to finish up, we, we talked a lot about tackling uh, some of the symptoms, and, and retailers can certainly make their own pledges, go their own way to tackle um, their, their symptoms of that view. And I, I feel collaboration is, is one of those buzzwords that gets thrown around a lot, but it's ultimately probably one of the most important solutions um, available. So I'd like to get the opinions of everyone as the last kind of question in. in a collaborative approach to this issue, what you would like to see that you feel would make the biggest difference in changing either consumer thoughts on plastics, reducing reliance on plastics, etc. etc. Can I? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it needs to come from higher up, it needs to come from government mm -hmm. policy level yeah. on this stuff that's getting the recycling systems, that's making requirements of the, the whole supply chain. Mm. Um, not what's obviously happening is a reaction to, you know, David Attenborough's <laughs> film. I mean, it's just crazy that government is sort of suddenly in there on that issue. Mm. You know, this is, the industry's been tackling this for a long time, mm. as everybody says. Mm. Um, so not a knee-jerk reaction. It would be a strategic approach at a senior level. And um, there's been plenty of stuff that I've seen wrapped not tackled. I mm. just don't understand okay. why they've missed some very obvious goals mm. in the whole process. Mm. What, what's one of those obvious things you feel that they uh, I mean, well, well, one I was one I was close to was the uh, the volume of water that we ship around in detergents, and mm. the concept was that we deliver a concentrate into a store, mm. and it's dispensed into a, the container that you bring back. Mm. There's a little bit more value in the container, so it lasts longer. And you're not shipping lorry loads of water around the place. It just made so much sense. The consumer's got water on tap, you've got the detergent, you put the two together, bang. We couldn't get interest from anyone other than some people that may have got some commercial advantage. Okay. It needed somebody to say, actually that's quite a good look at the total life cycle analysis of this range of products. I mean, there's aisles of water. Mm. I think not, not being focused. I think life cycle and analysis yes. is definitely becoming the, the way around this. So, so yeah. one was shipping water, and the other one is mountains of plastic to ship it in <laughs> because the bottles get thrown away and it becomes waste. You put double the value into your primary pack and you keep it, and it's durable, it's a kettle, but you refill it with detergent. Uh, you know, you use it to mix your detergent. 
what we call the mother and shuttle concept. Anyway. Yeah, Chris, I realise you've got a place to go, so yeah, please, please do um, shoot off. Um, Ian, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that whole collaborative approach, that, that one area you think could make the biggest difference. I think um, we've triggered that. I think we've triggered that as retailers okay, nice. to the government. Yeah. And I think um, they've got it. I think they've got it. Whether they'll move quick enough is another question. Um, but we will as retailers. I think we as a group of retailers will now um, have enough um, impact to make a change. That's very good to hear, Christina. Uh, for, for us, I think it's very natural. Mm. I mean, we, we strongly believe for our future we need to work for sustainability. Uh, and if we do so in developing the products that we need, uh, that our customers need, that will help our customers also achieve their uh, sustainability targets, strengthen their brands, and also ensure their long-term success, which is our long-term success. So I think you don't need any push in this area. Mm. It's, it's quite natural. I think what would help even more, of course, if consumers are more and more informed to put the pressure on generally, because uh, in the end, we're all consumers. Mm, very good. Uh, and if we have the, that knowledge or the, the willingness to, to do something, we, we act accordingly and we might pay or we might act, but we put the pressure on us when we're not consumers to do it. So I think uh, that's uh, another part of the, the whole chain that's important. Definitely, and yeah, that, again, that's a reiteration on that chain approach. It's a much different way of thinking. And then finally, uh, Matthew? Well, I'm going to cheat and have two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is actually picking up on something that's already been said, which is, I think, continuing to change the mindset. Um, and that's throughout, this is the collaborative part, it's throughout the whole of the, the chain, right from the raw materials producer through to the consumer. Traditionally, a lot of the sustainability argument has been treated as quite quite worthy but not very exciting. I think actually we can start to get people excited about the opportunities that it offers to think differently and to do things differently. And so turn this around to something that can be really positive in every element. You're not doing it because you feel it's the right thing to do only, you're doing it because it also offers you exciting opportunities. And I think that's a, there's a real possibility with that. I think the other side, and again it picks up on some of the things that have been said, I think life cycle analysis is really key mm. just to understand that full impact across the supply chain and to start to recognise the circularity. If we could link that in some way to policy initiatives, then you start to drive behaviours that encourage the use of materials and packaging solutions that have a good LCA because right now it's, it's just one other feature in amongst all the things that have to be considered and it's not that well understood. If we can get a better link between the view on, on the solution and its LCA, then I think that would really help drive things forward. Yeah. I, uh, I've certainly taken away a lot from um, this discussion and yeah, I, I, I like the fact that that LCA approach has become one of the kind of dominant themes and I certainly look forward to hearing a lot more about it because this is such a hot topic and it will continue to be in the news as retailers inevitably announce more pledges and update us on their progress date. So um, just before I leave, just a thank you again um, to all my guests, Chris Griffin who had to run off right at the end there, uh, Matthew Miller from James Cropper, uh, Christina Chester from Tetrapack and Ian Schofield from Iceland. And just a reminder to those of you listening that this um, podcast can be listened to via the ED website or via uh, download on iTunes. So until uh, next time, this is uh, Matt Mace signing off. Bye.
Goodbye.